Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Monday solo edition of Splash Play, where, as you could tell, I am back in my mostly incomplete studio, breathing in asbestos as we speak. But that doesn't matter because we got to dig into what we did. Everything week four, terrible. We got to talk about it today. I'm also going to talk about panicking and not panicking. What are the things that I am personally looking at and freaking out about? And what are the things I'm not freaking out about? Doesn't include Geno Smith. We'll find out. And Monday Night Football, we're going to build some showdown builds uh, today for that big tournament on draftings. A million dollars up top. I think some lessons learned from last night's showdown as well that might have freaked some people out but make me feel good about building these lineups right after this intro Uh, we are back, and apparently my audio is not going to the right place, so that's feeling good about everything as always. Shout out to the people who are joining me live here. Of course, I am Chris Spaggs today for another Monday solo stream of Splash Play. Of course, the Friday main events with Pete still going off at 10 a.m., so make sure to join me there. Of course, make sure to follow at Splash Play Pod, and hopefully the audio sounds okay. If it's not, please let me know in the chat because um, I, am again, really had to set up everything by the skin of my teeth today, but it doesn't mean I don't have the gifts, so please subscribe, like, and comment down below i'm going to reveal all the secrets of things that have cost me so much money this weekend hemorrhaging money by the minute on yesterday's slate and the showdown as well but we're gonna get get right today hopefully uh, one would pray and one gift at a time is where we can do that so please subscribe like and comment to this video some news though i do want to hit up top some important news javante williams diagnosed the torn acl officially going to be out for the season next game for the broncos sunday night football versus indianapolis uh this week after the win injury to Williams, uh, we saw Mike Boone come in. So zero RB alive and well, just not with the running backs you thought it would be. Mike Boone comes in, plays 65% of the snaps, according to Matthew Barry, who pulled some stuff uh, thanks to his NBC colleagues providing great data, perhaps even his fantasy life colleagues. Maybe Pete himself had to pull some numbers up for Matthew Barry. But Mike Boone, 65% of the snaps and six out of seven snaps on third and fourth down. So a lot of trust shown yesterday for Mike Boone um, after the, the br brutal injury, which is Monte Williams, so a young player unfortunately goes down, and then an also ran running back comes in. Melvin Gordon plays just 35% of the snaps, including one snap inside the 10 after uh, we did see Javante Williams go out. Uh, <laughs> thanks, fake fantasy YouTubers saying I sound like shit, but Justin saying I sound fine, and I think Justin's a serious one here. Either way, though, I do think that this is one where people are going to run to Mike Boone, probably going to be a committee backfield moving forward. It already was one with Javante Williams, and he was actually a legitimately talented player with a good pedigree and some draft capital behind him. Um, it does seem, though, like Mike Boone going to be in the mix. I think I wouldn't freak out about Melvin Gordon and what happened in that game yesterday. Uh, he did fumble. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett is just all over the place with his coaching philosophy. Philosophies. But one thing that we know from any football coach, if you fumble, you're going to lose that guy's trust right away, even if you are a back who's actually making decent money this year. I believe Melvin Gordon's making over 10 mil. Um, also a guy still that actually has a track record of success. Mike Boone has played well here and there. You might famously remember him, though, from busting a few years ago uh, when he was filling in as the Vikings running back, had one terrible game when everybody played him. Then when nobody played him, he had the good game. Of course, that is DFS for us. But overall, it seems like if you are in a league where Gordon or Mike Boone are available and you are desperate in your season-long leagues and your redraft leagues probably a good time to pick up mike boone and hope things go well because the broncos have shown they do want to run the ball a lot pass under expectation all that stuff uh, that we look at data wise cordero patterson also on the ir but scheduled to return after a minor surgery he was hurt yesterday uh, ended up playing gritting through that game actually scored a touchdown in the game but 
We did see Caleb Huntley get some snaps. And then more importantly, we saw Tyler Algier getting snaps. Tyler Algier getting real work. Tyler Algier running routes and catching passes. So Tyler Algier shares looking very alive in best ball. Tyler Algier, probably a guy to also pick up off of waivers. I would personally prioritize him over Caleb Huntley. Uh, Damian Williams is available to return after week six. So it is something where they'll get probably a decent leash for Algier in this spot. He is playing Tampa Bay this week. So probably not a guy you want to force into lineups necessarily unless you are desperate at running back in your season long leagues. But overall, Tyler Algier being in the mix makes me feel good after again, uh, really fucking got killed yesterday. Guys got <laughs> absolutely killed. Shout out to our boy, Nick as well. Tyler Algier season is upon us. Yes, that is honestly any good news at this point. <laughs> I will take gladly and count it like it's a financial win Tua officially ruled out this week as well before they play the Jets. The injury is labeled as a concussion. Um, actually worth bringing up uh, this tweet from earlier this week, uh, right after the Thursday night football game. In fact, there was a tweet or I guess a report that came out about Mike McDaniel with two on the plane. And I just have to share it here. Uh, this is from the deflatables official though. It was, I think this is actually an SI quote that's posted. Uh, we watched Jack and Jill together on the plane and he laughed all the way through Mike McDaniel speaking about concussion concerns for Tua. Uh, boy, I feel like this one. I don't know if that means he's more concussed or not laughing at the cross dressing twin films of Adam Sandler. Either way though, it does seem like Mike McDaniels, uh, a big fan of two has been standing for him since the second he got this job and uh two i gotta think i'll be back out there the fact they're reporting this is a concussion and not anything with his spine not anything with his neck is a positive the fact he was able to fly home means there probably wasn't swelling on the spine and neck i'm no doctor but i do know enough from these injury things to uh try to read the tea leaves as best i can and probably still be wrong but anyway a concussion you gotta assume two will get his way back in at some point here and he will keep laughing his way to the bank i guess with all of his favorite adam sandler films uh, williams is why you go one fifteen three one. that's true if you are <laughs> If you are a certain follower of various YouTube channels out there, you might spam a lot of running backs. Uh, but yeah, Williams, I mean, look, what we've seen so far at running back this year, guys, like even Eli Mitchell going out early, he'll be back at some point, but still him going out, Javante Williams going out, Christian McCaffrey had a, a very nice day this week, but still uh, has been banged up and a threat to miss games. Jonathan Taylor's been bottled up because of Matt Ryan mostly being useless. Uh, certainly, Zero RB is feeling pretty good right now, uh, but we'll talk about that more as I get into the panic, no panic here. Uh, I think no other news items of note that stood out to me, but of course, we'll talk more about this as the week goes on. Those are the big three right now, Javante Williams, Cordero Patterson, too. And also Traylon Burks, we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, he was apparently suffering from turf toe, which I could tell you is actually something that I've been suffering from the last few weeks. Fucking sucked, hurt myself, basically walking around in flip-flops in Ocean City. Came back here, had to go running up and down the stairs a bunch after the baby, uh, just because that's the way things work in our house. And unfortunately, ended up hurting my toe really bad. Had to wear a walking boot for the last few weeks. Finally, back in normal shoes for now. But certainly, turf toe, I mean, look, I'm not an athlete, obviously. I'm just a guy who's fucking chasing after a six-month-old and having to go up a bunch of flights of stairs. Turf toe sucks, though. Trail on Burks feels like maybe he shouldn't get carted off for turf toe, but still uh, apparently we'll be out for a while with that one with the turf toe injury. And uh, it was a six week recovery for me for trail on Burks, a similarly cut athlete, similar pedigree of guys. I'm sure he'll be back in around six weeks as well. But let's do it, guys. Of course, it's time for the panic, no panic. And uh, this is informed, honestly, by the fact that, like, I've been recovering from COVID, as I talked about on Friday. The last week, my first bout with COVID, I courageously overcame. And here I am back in a studio, a half-completed studio that needs to be redone because the shelf won't fit back in. It's fucking awful. Either way, though, 
Um, it is a week where there's a lot of panic to go around for people. As I mentioned, took a bloodbath yesterday in DFS. I, in fact, lost. I will be completely transparent about it. Lost $700 yesterday of my own hard-earned money that I get from pilfering people like, you know, that I get from, honestly, from Football Outsiders mostly. Um, and also, you know, conserving bankroll, being smart, all that stuff. Uh, about you know not spending money and or not spending money you can't afford to lose, but it was a brutal day for me. Uh, really, one that I wish I could have back. Uh, but certainly, that's going to be how DFS goes. So it's time to talk about the panic and no panic. And my first panic here is going to be that DFS is hard these days. Uh, the field is sharp. Ownership projections haven't caught up with how sharp the field's been. I know Pete was talking about it as Monday show. And of course, a lot more people are watching this one than my solo ramblings here on the Splash Play channel. But I think the same thesis is there where uh, the industry, I think, is just smartening up across the board. And, you know, the players in particular, a lot of people, I think, spending money who have followed, you know, the content of the industry for the last few years. Uh, also, fuck. <laughs> Fucking Nick. Won a couple hundred on Sunday. I ate the chalk like how Jameis eats a W. That, you know, honestly, I thought I was eating some good chalk as well. Did take Jamal Williams, but. Also took that Bills stack, which was awful. A t you know, game where really it did seem like it'd be tough for that one and not have over 50 points overall. Ends up going under that, even that conservative estimate of what the total could be. Uh, but, you know, anybody out there who's doing well, I feel like you should be really proud of yourselves right now. I know, uh, I feel like the run pure guys who have only been mean to me over the, <laughs> over the course of my DFS career, of my content career, have only been mean to everybody, I feel like, who isn't part of their uh, little MAGA tribe over there. Either way, though, those guys fucking crushed it yesterday. I think they won every major tournament, at least you know, one of the subs, if not one of the founders of the site. Uh, so kudos to them, I guess. Seem like awful people, but they are doing well in DFS. So, you know, honestly, everybody who had a good day, I'm never going to be mad about it. You guys are doing the best you can. I'm doing the best I can. And sometimes it just works out in everybody else's favor. Uh, Nick is panicking here. Actually, you know, if you guys have your panics, feel free to drop in the chat as well. I will grab a bunch of yours as well. I know people sometimes come in here uh, panicking about their season-long trades and whatever. So drop it in the chat. I'll hit them at the end. But I will say DFS is hard. And I think this is something too where uh, I know people have been seeing it. Again, I, I watch Peach shows every Monday. I know the chat there, people talking about that. There's always a couple winners, but a lot of people just there commiserating. I know you go on Twitter too, a lot of toxic people. I know from also just people who tweet me, like tweeted me about Geno Smith yesterday. It's like, okay, I think you're tweeting me about this because you're having a bad Sunday and you want me to feel bad too. Ultimately, DFS is hard. I think there's a lot of stuff that people are doing right now that they just didn't do a few years ago when we were uh, when I was really helping start Osmo's YouTube channel, get that off the ground. People didn't know ownership projections. People didn't know stacking. People didn't know double stacking and bringbacks and all that stuff. Then the industry caught up with that. Now they're on the literal 4D chess of it all where they can foresee you know plays that are good, that seem under-owned, and then those plays end up being really over-owned. Uh, Pete, uh, Pete talked about Rashad Penny, I know, as one. I didn't land on Rashad Penny a lot, but still, you know, Jamal Williams, everybody had him in their lineups. Khalil Herbert ended up busting, but still a play that was good on paper. A guy has been really good numerically in terms of missed tackles, in terms of all those things. Not a great game script on the road. You know, a spot, too, where the Giants certainly didn't make it a competitive game or, you know, a, a game where they could be in it feeling good about running the ball. It's just kind of an ugly one uh, in that one with the Bears and the Giants. But overall, the field is just sharper, so I think you got to be prepared to strap in, take some losses. And then here's where I'm going to su perhaps surprise people, but perhaps not. And I will tie it all together now. My no panic, number one, and this is the one that people want me to freak out about, Geno Smith being the greatest QB ever. The numbers for him are off the charts so far this year. I think um, you go to the NFL faster sites that track all the data on there, the play-by-play -play data. Geno Smith has been, according to estimated points added, as well as the completion percentage over expectation, has been the top QB in the league overall. He's running the ball. He's doing... Um, 
he's just doing a lot of stuff this year that it didn't feel like was in Gino's wheelhouse. To me, I'm, I don't panic about this stuff because ultimately you got to be able to play what you can lose. And I think that's something that sometimes people forget. And I know too, again, from years now doing YouTube content, I know people out there have credit card debt. I know people have in injuries and whatever and hospitalizations they have to pay off, all that shit. You got to be able to, you know, to play what you can lose. And that's, you know, I know it's tough to say that. Obviously, the people out there that are in a, a tough bind and trying to find their way out of it using their football knowledge to win money. For me, that's how I've always, you know, I learned right away from the jump that you got to be able to lose this money. You got to be able to play like you can afford to lose this money. And I know it's something where with Geno Smith in particular, like, I didn't get in a lot of Geno Smith. Obviously, had 5% in Drew Locke, which ends up being worth roughly $180. I'm not panicked about Geno Smith because... I'm losing more money on DFS in a given slate than I am on uh, on Drew Locke versus Geno Smith. And if anything, you got to find the small victors you can get them. The fact that I did pump Drew Locke so hard, pump his tires so hard, and everybody laughed in my face, Geno Smith ends up going off. That's sort of how DFS is in a nutshell. But ultimately, when you have the right take, for the most part, you have the, the vision to sort of identify a spot that everybody else is outright mocking. Yeah, sure, there are going to be a lot of games where Geno is a part of a 1,000-yard game. Probably wouldn't be a lot as well where Drew Locke was part of a 1,000-yard combined yards game as that game yesterday was uh, with Seattle and Detroit. But it is a spot where being able to identify opportunities, being able to identify things that the public has written off that you can sort of take advantage of, that's the stuff that's a positive. So anybody who wants me to panic about Geno Smith, you could send me whatever tweets you want. I know our pal Josh, is, Josh loves victory lap and that shit, even though I guarantee you he didn't make a fucking dime off Geno Smith either. Um, like, don't victory lap people being wrong because ultimately, like, you know, it just is sort of the process. Like, I'm going to be wrong a lot. I feel much more pain about the Trey Lance injury. I feel much more pain so far about Dak not playing, though apparently uh, Dak is uh, in line to be playing this week, it looks like. Overall, you just got to be willing to be wrong, got to be willing to be right, and got to find the small victories where you can get them. So Geno Smith's success is Drew Locke's success is my success, and uh, not financial gains for anybody is basically the way that goes, except the run pure guys. Um, Locke is still in play for week 17, and that was a long game. Stay strong, Spags. It's true. And that's, you know, that is something, too, where, like, I know sort of the risk profile of these plays. So, you know, any of my Drew Locke exposure was in three QB builds, I think, for the most part, maybe one or two in a two QB. So, like, I'm covered there. And again, that's why the Trey Lance part hurts so much more. Trey Lance was only in two QB builds for me uh, with guys like Joe Burrow. So I now need Joe Burrow to be good for 17 weeks of the season, whereas the hope would be that he'd have some weeks that he's good, some weeks he's bad, some weeks that Trey Lance is better. Um, ultimately, that's sort of the way that I try to view it. Um, so, you know, I really, I think it's one of those spots that um, you got to find your own personal comfort levels. And for me, my personal comfort level is just, um, you know, adjusting uh, relative to expectation and knowing that Drew Locke was always a pretty thin play. Hopefully it'll be less thin in week 17. Uh, panicking again. What is there to panic about? Number two, Kyle Pitts back to his pre-lettered Arthur Smith form. Pete and I bravely went out there last week, went on the stream, did a video, and then just hopped over and, you know, really did everything we could to get Kyle Pitts back in the the good graces of Arthur Smith primarily. This week, though, back to one catch on 25 yards on four targets. Marcus Mariota overall only tries 19 passes. TJ Hawkinson 20xing Kyle Pitts's points does not feel good. I will tell you that much. I'm officially panicked about Kyle Pitts, not because of the fact that, like, he's still capable of having the monster game. I know that. 
but also the Falcons are just doing what the Titans have done historically, which is just not wanting the QB to beat them, letting the run game really dictate everything, willing to play close to the vest and try to win in the fourth quarter. Uh, it's Pete Carroll, for some reason, has completely deviated from that strategy. He's willing to open it up. But Arthur Smith goes from Tennessee to Atlanta, has his chance to make his imprint, and it's just the exact same thing that they were doing in Tennessee, and Tennessee is still doing right now. Um, I'm worried about Kyle Pitts, and I say this to somebody. Again, another thing, where I have 24% Kyle Pitts, I think, on DraftKings, a little bit less on underdog. Like, I am deeply concerned about that. The ceiling is still there. You know, week to week, guys are going to put up duds. But ultimately, do you feel good about Kyle Pitts compared to Mark Andrews? Do you feel good about him compared to Kelsey? Um, you probably feel okay about him compared to Kittle and Waller, but still, you know, not great by any stretch. And then you could have had Hawkinson for cheaper. You could have had Dalton Schultz, who wasn't great yesterday, but is still going to give you a floor and still a shot at a ceiling. I don't know, man. And I don't think it's Kyle Pitts' fault. I think the talent's there. He did also drop one, or not drop, but really was mistargeted on a pass by Marcus Mariota that he could have caught right at the goal line and maybe punched it in for a touchdown. Things are going to be better for Kyle Pitts, but week to week, like one for 25 is not a number you want to see from your young tight end who you're hoping can make that leap into the Travis Kelsey tier. Uh, so that's one that I am actually officially starting to panic about, even if not. Uh, Tyler's saying, oh God, I just got an overlance trigger warning next time, LO. <laughs> look, it's tough, man, but that's ultimately the way it is. Like, you know, if you played Javante Williams, you drafted Javante Williams. Like, I obviously was one of the staunchest zero RB guys out there in terms of how I was approaching my portfolio. Javante Williams is very tempting to me. Like, he was still a guy where I was like, fuck, if I miss out on this guy, it could be a problem. Ultimately, you know, you just got to kind of file it away, you know, with what the process is, which is that you need one lineup. You need one lineup, whether it be DFS, whether it be, you know, whether it be best ball, whether it be any format out there. You need one lineup that can bubble up and get there and can be a meaningful riser that can win you a tournament. So I think that's the way you would view it right now. If you did have a lot of Javante Williams, if you had a lot of Kyle Pitts, if you had a lot of Drew Locke, you just got to view it as hoping to get that one lineup that can go and sing for you. Uh, but Kyle Pitts, though, officially on my panic list after I've been trying real hard to not panic over Kyle Pitts. No panic number two, though. No panic for Gabe Davis for now. And he's kind of in a similar criteria. <laughs> like I got Justin here saying, hoping that Kyle Pitts could be in the Kelsey tier. He would take Disley tier. That's another one, too, where Noah Fant was a guy I was taking some of as part of my Seattle stacks. Noah Fant got the touchdown yesterday, but it's Will Disley's team. You know, trying to read coaches that I think make mistakes, coaches that are, are sort of handcuffed to the guys that they trust the most. Um, that's the kind of thing for best ball that you don't really factor in as much. But new coaching staffs hating players, I think, is something we're seeing a lot in Denver. And old coaching staffs loving their old guys, I think, is something we're seeing in Seattle and some other spots. So um, something to keep in mind next year that, boy, we'll fucking see. Um but anyway, so my no panic for Gabe Davis. I think it looks bad on paper for Gabe. One catch for 13 yards on three targets. In a game yesterday, though, where the Bills only scored 23 points. That's the main thing I'm looking at. Gabe Davis' ankle injury that came out of nowhere. Uh, a couple low-scoring injuries, at least one low-scoring game. Stefan Diggs being ascendant and really being worth that first-round capital, I think, are all things that are working against Gabe Davis. To me, Gabe Davis made the most sense, and this is as somebody that wasn't drafting Josh Allen, so I wasn't getting the full stacks. Gabe Davis made the most sense when you weren't drafting Stefan Diggs because he's sort of the lever against Diggs where you say that Diggs is being treated like he's going to be Justin Jefferson. He's being treated like he's going to be Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, all those guys. The way that he doesn't end up as that is if Diggs is good or excuse me, if, if Davis is good or if McKenzie's good or if Crowder's good even or if the run game is relied on more of a singletary. That's basically the way that I've been trying to preach on these streams that I want to draft that I think everybody should be drafting. But for the most part, like I'm not going to be sweating the Gabe Davis part because I have enough Stefan Diggs that... 
if Gabe Davis continues to be kind of nothing, Diggs should be better. And that's sort of what the hope is. And that's the importance, I think, of what Brick talked about with having a robust portfolio, trying to keep close to that 8% expected ownership for a bunch of different guys, taking advantage of the quality ADPs and still being around that 8% number. If you play, you know, drafting 16% of guys in best ball, 20% of guys in best ball, you are playing exploitatively. And that means you are trying to say that you have something you know the rest of the field doesn't. With Gabe Davis, I think we all kind of knew what it was. He's a guy that showed some flashes, but also if you really poked holes in the per snap numbers, they weren't the best. Ultimately, when the Bills are running good, Gabe Davis is going to be there. He's going to be productive. He's going to be in the mix. The weeks where he's not, yeah, it's probably the Bills aren't good or Diggs is really good. Ultimately, I think that's sort of what the, the having a balanced portfolio portion of things is. So I'm not panicked over Gabe Davis. Still have no issue playing him. He's going to get cheaper. I'm sure he'll have another breakout day. For now, though, it doesn't look great. So I mute the button to hide my COVID cough. The combo of COVID plus uh, really almost a decade now of <laughs> extravagant marijuana abuse, really not the best cough combo. Tom saying, I think Davis has to be feeling the ankle injury more than anyone's letting on. Um, I mean, I think that's certainly a, a valid point by Tom there. Uh, he certainly is not, you know, the same player right now, but the team hasn't also exploded the same ways. So you can write it off either way. The hope is he's getting out there. So he's going to get better week to week, a healthier week to week. So, you know, again, no panic for me with Gabe Davis. Uh, people ask some injury questions or some trade questions. If you hang on till the end of the segment, guys, I will get them at the end. My panic number three, though, is going to be Chase Claypool, another young guy. His future in Pittsburgh, I feel like, is really shaping up pretty poorly. Yesterday, he ends up with zero catches for zero yards on two targets in the game where Pickens finally went off, the guy that I think was getting a little bit overdrafted but still has the potential to be a valuable play, obviously. Um, he goes for six catches, 102 yards, and eight targets. To me, it feels like Chase Claypool's getting the same thing they did to Juju, where they're putting Claypool in the slot more. Um, I haven't checked the, the slot numbers for this week, but Claypool overall is not a low ADOT kind of guy. Like, yeah, if you give him some catch and run space to go, uh, he probably can play well, but he's still not a guy that you want to have getting those short routes. You want to have him getting downfield, getting out into space, using his big body to kind of make contested catches. That's where Claypool's had his most success. That's where he had his big rookie year. This year, they're just using him in a weird way that I don't think makes the most sense for his talent. Kenny Pickett playing, hopefully, will kind of rise that whole tide. The passing game offense, despite Pickett throwing some interceptions yesterday, still, I think, looked better. Overall, more aggressive than Trubisky's looked. So that could still bode well for Claypool. But I think now, like, we also saw a bad game from Deontay Johnson. We saw Pat Freermuth, who so far this year is looking pretty good. There's a lot of weapons in this offense that can justify more usage, whereas Claypool, with what he's doing, I don't think does justify more usage. So the hope is that, you know, you see Pickett use him more. But ultimately, I think Pickett's going to gravitate the most towards Pickens because he's the guy that he's probably been practicing the most with all offseason long. Obviously, the rookies are playing with the guys lower on the depth charts. Pickens is probably the one who's been out there with Pickett all offseason and has actually been catching balls from him, whereas Claypool's been working with Trubisky. Deontay Johnson's working with Trubisky. Even Fremuth's been working with Trubisky. Fremuth will probably be okay because rookies love targeting tight ends. It's sort of a safe safety blanket to get to. With, Play uh, with Claypool, though, I don't know, man. I think I, I would sell honestly on Claypool, but he's so low right now. You probably should hold on to him and hope he has one good game. And if he has that one good game and it feels fluky, then get rid of him. But right now, I think Chase Claypool is the guy you probably worry about one of the most out of any of the young players out there who you would expect to make a leap, who clearly is not doing it this year. Uh, my no panic number three. So the running back <laughs> ceiling games coming back in vogue 
Boy, did they come back in vogue this week. Eight running backs this week scored over 25 fantasy points during yesterday's main slate. Josh Jacobs, in this order, from top to bottom, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, Miles Sanders, Rashad Penny, Damian Pierce, Jamal Williams, Derek Henry, and Christian McCaffrey. And you also had Nick Chubb, J.K. Dobbins, Saquon Barkley, all over 20 fantasy points. That could be something where, again, you look at a zero RB prof, uh, portfolio profile, you feel maybe some anxiety about that. I think, if anything, this just kind of proves the overall thesis where um, any running back can get there in a given week. It's all a matter of game scripts, all a matter of opportunity, all a matter of how the matchup breaks down. Like, Damian Pierce looked great yesterday. I don't think he's going to be that guy every week. Uh, certainly encouraging that he's getting all the rushing work now. Rex Burkhead only getting pass game work yesterday. But still a spot with Pierce where the Texans are going to be in some bad game scripts where you might not see Pierce get that many runs. You might see him be more of a pass protector. might see him maybe running some routes in the flat but still not used meaningfully because Brandon Cooks is going to be downfield. Nico Collins will be fucking running wind sprints, as Nico Collins always does. But I think this is a spot where people might freak out because you see the big running back days. You see three running back lineups win the tournaments yesterday, and that's something where it still wasn't the optimal was to have three running backs in. You still should be playing wide receivers in the flex. You shouldn't be playing running backs. But there's just so much value yesterday at running back that I think people got away with it. Overall, I think you know if you are a running back lover, a running back hater, I just wouldn't panic about running backs right now and seeing that explosive ceiling from so many guys yesterday. If anything, you feel better about you know, being running back agnostic because this can be it every week and it wouldn't shock me to see literally all seven eight of those guys or you know seven out of those eight guys have down weeks next week that just flatten out the curve overall um it just wouldn't be a surprise panic number four though what I'm panicking about, too many notifications yesterday about guys getting carted off. I know there was a, a reference about yesterday with uh, with Traylon Burks getting carted off, of course, through the turf toe, as we talked about earlier. DK Metcalf also getting carted off yesterday, and I feel like we just got to pull up the tweet for this one, even though you guys have probably seen it a million times now. But who who would I be if I didn't share a tweet about a guy pooping? I mean, that's just a... That's just bro, guys being dudes, guys pooping. Uh, that clinch walk wouldn't made it for DK Metcalf getting carted off to use the bathroom. What really I don't like the most, what makes me panic the most is you see that carted off notification now and it could mean anything. We've seen guys get carted off and play later on. Khalil Herbert got carted off in the offseason. Uh, we talked about that during the best ball season and drafting and just being willing to take Khalil Herbert, even though there wasn't a lot of reporting around it. Same thing here for DK Metcalf, where he just had a big dump in him and had to get off the field and didn't want to walk to the, the locker room to do so. I just don't want to see the notifications about guys getting carted off. Like, I feel like if they're putting out the notification, if you're underdog, if you're DK live, if you're Roto world or whatever, like you got to couch these accordingly and be like uh, DK Metcalf carted off for unknown reasons, as opposed to uh, Javante Williams carted off because of a non-contact injury. Like you got to couch these things accordingly. So anytime I am seeing anybody get carted off, I'm freaking out. Uh, that's something where I fully am willing to panic there. Uh, but I would say for everybody else, you know, just uh, if you're a notification provider out there, just be careful. Be careful about the people who are just watching notifications, not seeing the plays and then freaking out about it. My last no panic for the week, and this is going to be the big lesson here, which ties to the Geno Smith thing, which ties to me losing 700 bucks yesterday, which ties to everything. If you are panicking about losing money, you are in the wrong game. And I will say that fully and comfortably and, you know, and honestly to try to save you guys from yourselves out there where I know sometimes you see, you know, you watch these streams, you see, you know, Pete playing hundred dollar tournaments. You see guys playing the Thunderdome was playing thousands of dollars, you know, whatever. I I'm sure that Leone is not, you know, going hand to mouth to play the Thunderdome or same thing with Osmo, same thing with Brick, same thing with the top DFS players. They are playing out of a bankroll. They're playing responsibly. 
like when you start to panic about losing money, that means you're playing too much money. I know that's sort of what people say is like, you know, it's not a gamble unless you feel the sweat, unless you feel the pain. Um, I don't feel that way. I think as somebody that knows the variance of DFS and also knows that the right way to play is like, you probably are just as right. If you are in the, you know, the last place of the spy as you are in the first place in the spy, because at least you did something different. At least you didn't go with the field. At least you didn't go with the consensus. Um, obviously if you are in last place and you had, you know, all players over 20% owned, Maybe that's a mistake in the process that you want to reevaluate. But overall, like you got to be able to lose money. And I, I know it sucks. Like, you know, it does feel like a haves and haves nots thing. And, and I know that too. Like I felt that pain when I was at Osmo too, where like, you know, my biggest wins, as I talked about, you know, 175K down the stretch of NBA season a couple of years ago that, you know, put me in this house and gave me enough room to kind of, you know, take some free agency time to figure out my career and all that stuff. Like ultimately, I won on five entries, and that's not something that happens a lot. Like, sure, people will win day to day on one entry. You're going up against people with 150 bullets, and if you have a five bullets, somebody else 150, you're going to lose money more often than not. So, what you're trying to do is play for the outcomes where, when you are right, you will win the biggest, and that's ultimately what you're trying to do. But that means being able to absorb losses. That means being able to absorb days where you lose 700 bucks. That means for me, not playing NBA in the off season or not playing NBA, you know, after we had Luca from April on. So I didn't play any playoff stuff. Didn't play any MLB. I put my all my bankroll towards best ball and NFL DFS, so like I could absorb these losses. It would suck if I lose 700 dollars every week. <laughs> like I don't. I'd prefer that not be the case. But I won a couple grand week one. Won a you know a little bit more in week two. Like and then I'm losing that back right now. That's sort of the process. That's the give take of it all. So as somebody that has had skin in the game and done this, but you know, has also not risen to the tier of some of my peers or people that have employed me in the past. I would say to you guys that like, if you're losing money, like don't get fucking bitter. Don't get angry on the deposit kingdom discord. Don't go whatever. Like just try to get better and just try to take advantage and look at your process and what you're doing wrong. Similarly, uh, what I am going to share with you guys right now, I'm actually going to share the screen for Fantasy Cruncher, and I'm going to do a little exercise here because I thought this was important to me today because, I, you know, look, I feel bad when I fucking get shelled too. Um, but let's go to the lineup review here on Fantasy Cruncher, and this is a very valuable tool. I know a lot of the top players have said this out there. Um, you should honestly, if you are just playing DFS for the first time, if you're confused as to why you lose or why you had a bad week or whatever, um, you should just kind of run the lineups back and see how it goes. But let's just see what the, the highest scoring lineups yes, were yesterday according to the actual score. I think oh, this is actually this is every game going on right now. So this is including Sunday night football. We don't need that. Um, let's go to just the main slate. And let's see here. And I think this is encouraging to me because when I saw that running back had actually won in the flex, I was like, wait a minute, am I doing something wrong here? Ultimately, though, it was still a lineup here. This is the optimal with no stacks on, no anything. You had two chargers making the lineup for a 269 total. But still, like the winning score was, I believe, 253 overall. Um, if I put on, oh, I don't have the position stacks here, but let's put on a let's put on a stack of two players with our QB uh, of wide receiver, tight end. All right, and then let's do a bring back too. Why not? From the opposing team, bring back a running back, a wide receiver, or a tight end, at least one player. All right, so this is you know normal rules I would put in. You want to have your double stacks, you know, or at least a single stack. You probably want to have a bring back. What would be the winning lineup here according to this, where you, you know, kind of of a normal way that people would approach this? And you can see it's a similar lineup here, but with a double stack, this 268 would have won just as good. Let's say you take out the running back and the flex. So we have Josh Jacobs right now in the flex. So this would have won every tournament. This would have won would have won you a million dollars, would have won you small field stuff, would have won you everything. But let's say we did not play running back in the flex. Devontae Adams was not that good. 
and was still a guy that could have won you all the money. 258, again, would have won you by five points yesterday. So it's the kind of thing where you see Jared Goff, Austin Eckler, Josh Jacobs, uh, Jamal Agnew, Short Gamer TV. Who uh, Short Gamer was doing pretty well yesterday, so hopefully you ended up uh, cashing pretty well because I saw you uh, top five in a few tournaments that I was in, or at least one that I was in. Um, you got Goff, Eckler, Jacobs, Jamal Agnew, just a minimum salary guy. People were flocking to other guys a little more pricey. Kind of makes sense that a guy who's getting snaps and minimum salary could get there, even if Jamal Agnew certainly. So you can see from the 1.2 projection here, probably not a guy you want to play very often. Josh Reynolds, you know, made logistical sense. TJ Hawkinson's made logistical sense. Uh, DK Metcalf, if you are playing this double stack here, made sense. You know, not playing Jamal Williams also made sense, even though I did play a lot of Jamal Williams. Overall, this is a lineup you can get to, and it's just one that I think um, sometimes people miss this. You know, you can see the projection here. The projection was 119.28. Um, I think I have my, I think I have the stochastic projections in here right now, right? Yeah. So let's see what my projections would have been, the stochastic projections for, um, for what the top projected lineup would be. And this is one where, you know, it's a pretty big discrepancy between the projected score here and the projected score from what ended up being uh, one of the the optimal, I guess, with the double stack and no running back at uh, at flex. But it's still like a lineup here that you could land on. You probably have to close your eyes if you're 20 points off. But the optimal yesterday, too, like the optimal was one that was really good. And I think had 190 points uh, from Stochastic as well. I ran that out in my uh, my small group tournament with my friends from high school, my two best friends from high school, ran it out in a couple of tournaments as well. And like cash perfectly fine it was actually like top 100 on the, the first down or whatever the one dollar one is. So like you can play cashy lineups like you can do that. It's not this thing where you need to really reevaluate your entire process. Ultimately, there were good scores put out by these very basic lineups yesterday and still ones that could have won you money. And I think yeah, even this one here, the actual score was 172.8. You would have passed the cash line in a lot of games. And if you don't have the stomach for GPPs, play fucking optimal lineups in cash games. Like that's something that will also win you some money. It won't win you $50,000, won't win you a million dollars but it can double your money. And if that's something you care about, go play cash games. Like there've never been a better time to have good projections and just build optimal lineups than right now because the data is so sharp. But ultimately I think, you know, people start to freak out after one week and I just wouldn't change the process that much. I wouldn't start playing running backs and flex. I would still try to target the upside, the volatility of wide receiver. Overall, I think it's one of those things that um, people really do freak out too much about these kind of uh, these plays overall and then one bad slate. And ultimately, if you don't have that cool hand, if you don't have that ability to just keep pushing through and keep going back to you know get up to bat tonight and do the showdown, if you have enough money in your bankroll to do that for the week, like just keep doing it because ultimately that's what the process is, is being willing to dust yourself off, get back on the horse and keep going. Uh, Agnew is the guy you need. Yeah, look, I think uh, nobody out there touted Jamal Agnew. Uh, I don't think it made the most sense in the world how he got there, but he got there. So at the end of the day, just playing guys to get snaps will be um, the thing that's probably most important to you. Let's go to the showdown, though. Um, and again, it's it's a big game tonight with the Rams and the Niners, and it's one that personally I uh, am not the most excited about. But because I'm going to be out of town next week or next, you know, like for the weekend, going to my high school reunion, I'm not going to probably play the main slate very much next week. So I'm going to go back, go back heavy again tonight for the showdown. Hopefully, win a million dollars because otherwise, uh, otherwise, boy, it's a real negative EV week for me. But let's see. They put it in my groups. So let me make sure I got all those off here. We got no randomness on. Uh, of course, no rules right now. We do have my group sins. Let me disable all groups. Let's see what the optimal is in this game uh, for tonight. We'll go from there. 
One thing I did observe from yesterday for Sunday Night Football, which again was what kind of raised some flags for me. So you guys that didn't appear in any of this 20 lineup crunch here for the optimal uh, that I just didn't get much of as a result, uh, where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Travis Kelsey. Kelsey, I forced in. Edwards-Hilaire, I didn't get much of. Those guys didn't pop up once in the 20 lineup crunch. And I thought that was interesting because I think that ultimately is one way to try to play it. Where if here's your 20 unencumbered lineups here, your lineups that don't have you know any sort of rules on it, don't have any sort of randomness on it. This is just the pure optimal. So if you want to play a cash game tonight, probably just play this one. Cooper Cup, the captain, Juwan Jennings, uh, Matt Gay, Tyler Higby, Debo Samuel, Matthew Stafford. Um, nothing too surprising there. But who's in the rotation that uh, we don't have at all in the optimal? Probably Allen Robinson. If you want to get gross, playing Allen Robinson at captain probably is a thing you could do and feel good about. Um, you could also or not feel good about, but I think that actually could be good because nobody else is going to play him. And if he does actually have a good game, it could be a situation where Allen Robinson is the one that wins people all the money, uh, much like Edwards Hilaire was, or you know, Kelsey did end up getting there, but looked great in the first half. Um, overall, like trying to analyze these things, and I know our pal Rinpack talked about it when he was on the stream uh, right before the season started. Like just kind of trying to analyze these lineups and seeing what occurs the most. So you could see there's a lot of Tyler Higby. So what's the pivot point for Tyler Higby? It's either playing him at captain or it is, let's see, what's his salary point? Mm -mm. Higby is at 5,200. So that's very cheap for a guy getting his workload. But it would mean pivoting to... A Ben Skroneck, it could be going down to Matt Gay or Robbie Gould. It could be going to the Niners defense, which uh, may be a little bit under-owned. Um, probably wouldn't play Bryce Perkins or Wolford. Poor uh, Trey Lance again coming up again. Don't play him. But overall, just get different from what the things that you're seeing occur the most. So Higby, to me, is a guy that I'm sure I'll play some of, but ultimately the fact that every lineup here that we're seeing when we're just running an unencumbered crunch, 95% Higby is a lot of Higby. And I think, yeah, he's in literally every lineup, whether it be at captain or in utility. That's the kind of play you get away from. Same thing with Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings is like not some fucking great shakes. Actually, let me look at his route numbers right now just so I could see. Um, Jawan Jennings is actually priced under Ray Ray McLeod, which is surprising. Uh, hold on one sec. It's mm -mm. pulling up my data sheet here so I can see Juwan Jennings routes, but I, I don't think they're high enough to feel that great about him. If he's going to be in a hundred percent of the optimal lineups or the, uh, you know, top projected lineups. Yeah. Juwan Jennings is running. Mm -mm. He is playing 34 snaps per game and running 19 routes per game. So who would we go to instead of him? He's at 2,000. So, I mean, you're talking about either paying up a little bit more. So, honestly, Ray Ray McLeod might be the guy. Um, he's playing 15 snaps per game, running eight routes. So, like, can Ray Ray McLeod produce as much as Juwan Jennings and that, you know, that kind of sample size compared to what Juwan Jennings is? Probably like, I think that's certainly something that's in range in the range of outcomes. And if Jawan Jennings is coming up in every lineup and he's not that good of a play, you just got to get different from it. You know, Jordan Mason as well, a guy at running back who could see some more work this week against still no Tyrion Davis price. Jeff Wilson going to be more involved. Jordan Mason is playing. Jordan Mason is playing five snaps per game right now, but so that's a little thin. I do think going to Ray Ray McLeod, though, or even Kyle Juszczyk maybe could be a move. Either way, point being is like when you see that these things reoccur time and time again, these are the things that make like Tyler Higby makes lineups easier to build. Uh, Juwan Jennings makes lineups easier to build. 
Um, Cooper Cup makes lineups easier to build because he's got to be in it because he's so good. Same thing for Debo to a lesser extent. Like these are guys that like you want to have in, but you want to find the weak spot and that, you know, like if you're playing Jenga, you want to pick out the base. You want to let people deal with the chaos that you're creating for them. That's sort of what Tyler Higby and not playing him and not playing Juwan Jennings means is that you're kind of pulling apart the things that make people feel comfortable. I know JM Twin was talking about this on Pete's Friday stream, which is a great stream to check out as well. If you are trying to get the game theory of this all, what makes people feel uncomfortable? And I think right now, if you take out Tyler Higby, who's a tremendous discount, run of how many routes he's getting, how many targets he's getting, you take out Juwan Jennings, who looks like the best value play. People don't feel as comfortable. So you might even want to take these guys out of the player pool. Like that's sort of the way to do it. Our pal Nick asking how many, how much randomness do you normally use? I rock with 45 or 65, depending on the day. So what I'll normally do, and I'll show you the crunch that I, I would do next, Nick, is I would bump it up to 33. I would enable all my groups again. First of all, um, I do make my captain rules. If I have a QB at captain, I want two players who are wide receivers and tight ends with them. Because, of course, if a guy can make QB uh, captain at QB, that means he probably created enough passing volume for somebody. I guess, you know, in a rushing QB, it would be a little bit different. But I would say neither Stafford nor Garoppolo are rushing QBs. So I'm going to add in that. If we play a wide receiver at captain, we also want to include our QB. Just because if the wide receiver is good enough to get there, usually the QB will have had a good enough day to justify being the lineup as well. And same thing for tight ends. So these are the rules I have. And same rules I do every week on here that I try to pre-build before the show. Only one kicker. Only one DST. I'm not playing more than two wide receivers overall from the same team. Not playing more than two wide receivers from the other team as well. And then I'm also limiting it. So if I do have not have a QB in the lineup, whether it be a captain or at a regular position, I'm only getting one player from the group. So there we go. Let's crunch 500 and see what we get. Honestly, though, I don't see how there won't be a lot of Higby. Yeah, Higby. There we go. First one, Higby captain. Porn bots. Porn bots trying to build some good lineups. Not today, my friend. You got to go to the Run Pure channel. <laughs> They'll welcome you with open arms. All right. Man, this is, like, is going to be a lot of Higby at captain, huh? 15% Higby at captain. Let's see what the what the stochastic simulations say, because I got to imagine Higby is not going to be that highly ranked in terms of his likelihood of being the captain. And again, the thing too is like, even if you do want to play Higby because he opens up everything and you feel good about him and he's running a lot of routes, all the stuff that we talk about here, um, you can play him, but just make sure that you are getting very different than you know at other positions. So, like, if I'm playing Higby, I'm probably not playing Jawan Jennings. All right, let's see. So, Tyler Higby is the optimal captain 8% of the time, and he's projected for 6% ownership. So, it's tough because, like, because what we talked about earlier with the ownership projections like if you have that faith in ownership and you can trust it on its face, it does seem like Tyler Higby would be a positive leverage play right now by about 2.1%. Again, according to Stochastics uh, Showdown Tool, which is a pretty good one to reference, Run the Sims also does a really good one as well to show you how often a, a player ends up in the captain optimal as well as in the lineup optimal overall. And then you can judge it based on the projected ownership. Um, man, I don't... <laughs> Owen wants us to crunch faster. I can only control the crunch so much here. So I'm doing it... Uh, with randomness on, it usually does go a little bit faster, but not today. I also might not have lowered the point. Yeah, I should lower the point 
allowed as well. Point two is what I put in for a minimum projection. Oh, because you know what? I didn't turn on randomness. That's why it's going so slow, because I'm an idiot. Let's, let's do this again. Turn on the randomness now. Now we'll do it right. I was just showing you guys what not to do first, and now we'll do it right, and it'll go faster. Still a lot of Higby at captain, though. Tell you what. Hmm. So our optimal number as well for projection is 102. It's worth pointing out too, of course, like when you are crunching with rules on, you're going to have a lower projected score just because of the fact that like you're not just putting random players in who don't correlate. Uh, the hope is that by these, this correlating more is that you get a little bit of a boost. Um, Marlon Mack. Watch the inactives too. Um, like if you're getting Marlon Mack at a crunch now, like check it, you know, at seven o'clock tonight because Marlon Mack might be inactive. Um, well, you know, I don't know for sure yet, uh, but that's the kind of thing the team puts out usually an hour or two before game time. So keep that in mind. But I would right now, just like on its face, I probably would play Marlon Mack over Jawan Jennings for the reasons we talked about. Just in the hopes that he falls into the end zone somehow. And then Jawan Jennings does what he does normally, which is not a whole lot. And after this one, to answer Nick's earlier question, I would go to 66% next and then start to group them all together. I also have lately been working at a 99% randomness crunch just because I do think it helps you capture a few lineups that other people aren't capturing normally. Um, 99% randomness crunches will, though, sometimes result in you having like 30K in salary spent, which is not something you should do normally. Um, but, you know, I think it's good to just have those lineups in the mix so you can have them as a frame of reference. A lot of Stafford. How much of the defense is coming in? I think the defenses are are very much in play tonight as well. Um, kind of thought they were yesterday, though that game ended up being much more of a shootout than I would have thought on paper. Um, but I think the defense tonight, given this is a lower total game, just over 40, uh, I think it's right now at 42.5, feels like a, you shouldn't be too upset if you have a defense or a captain in your, or a defense or a kicker rather in your lineup. And honestly, maybe playing a defensive captain wouldn't be the worst thing today, but it uh, wouldn't be my priority necessarily. Josh asking, do you ever throw a backup QB into a single game lineup, allowing you a more expensive lineup and capitalizing if the starter gets hurt and likely unique, or am I just dumb? Um, you're not dumb. To be clear, there's no such thing as like a bad question. There's no also, like as we saw yesterday with the Millie Maker, where a guy put in 32 of the same lineup or whatever and ended up cashing. You know, it's all minus EV until it ends up being proven that it's plus EV. Um, I still wouldn't do that normally, but like point being, uh, you would have been right about this on Thursday night football, but I think as a result, that means that more people will probably be on it because of Tua getting hurt and Teddy Bridgewater coming in. I wouldn't do it normally unless it's a QB where like when Marcus Mariota was on the Raiders and he was playing some kind of, you know, trick packages, like then you could do it more and have a little more comfort. But even then, you know, Taysom Hill obviously to be the best example. But I think from my perspective, that's probably lost money more often than not. So I wouldn't do it. But, you know, um, it's like such an infinitesimally low amount of, of likelihood to happen that um, you're you're just likely to burn the money that I think it's something that I wouldn't do. Um, but if you're doing 150, like I could see doing it once or twice. If you're doing if you're doing like I assume you're doing Josh Stone, you're doing like a handful of entries in one of the big tournaments. I wouldn't do it then. No. Because at that point, you want those like 
the again the five lineups I would put into a 150 max or whatever like I might do you know 20 today like you want those to be like laser focused on particular narratives that are likely to happen and a QB getting hurt and then the backup QB coming in and having enough time to be good and make the winning lineup and there's still like 6k like you know backup QBs are never really cheaper than 6k on draftings it's just not likely to pan out for you meaningfully unless you have that perfect situation. You know, nope. It's like, I shouldn't say perfect when somebody leaves a game on a stretcher after possible medical negligence, but unless you have a perfect situation like that Miami game, like it's still not, you know, it's not the best outcome, not the most likely outcome to happen. Though that was a case where it could have probably won you money. I don't think it did that night though. Cause I don't think anybody actually played Teddy Bridgewater in a good lineup. So here's our 66% crunch. Let's see if there's anything different. So less Higby, which is a positive at captain. Matt Gay at captain coming up. Okay. Who's the Niner who's not in? So George Kittle at captain is kind of interesting. Like not as somebody, again, I, I think Captain Kittle, Captain Allen Robinson today looks pretty appealing just because of the fact it's not coming up at all. All right, let's make it two uniques and let's see how that does. Josh saying I was looking at the other 6K players and it was just so gross that it crossed my mind. Yeah, I mean, like, there's still enough guys under 6K here where you do have Skronek, who's certainly out there because he's such a fantastic blocker that they're using in creative ways. Uh, the underdog guys, I know, did a pretty good film study on what Skronek is doing and why he's, like, so important to what the Rams offense has been able to achieve. But I feel like taking him, taking the Niners D, taking Robbie Gould, taking Matt Gay, like the Rams D, like all these I think are more appealing. Even Brandon Powell is running enough snaps where he could break one. Um, and they seem willing to use him in the red zone as well. Uh, like I would take any of these guys over a backup QB just because it just takes one touchdown, you know, like a 40 yard touchdown. And they're in that lineup. What Rashad White did yesterday was enough to make a winning lineup. And he certainly wasn't a guy that projected that well. Uh, I just think it's a higher likelihood that one of those guys does get there. Yeah, FanDuel's a different ballgame, um, but still probably not one where you play backup QBs. For FanDuel, though, you want to make sure your MVP is the guy that's the highest scoring guy in the game. So, like, you know, you're going to really, on FanDuel, lean heavy Cooper Cup, uh, lean heavy Debo, lean heavy to one of the QBs. Um, you know, I still think Robinson and Kittle would be in play there, but you know, obviously, you know, your mileage may vary. But yeah, for FanDuel, the MVP is almost always the highest scoring guy just because there isn't the salary penalty for having that guy um, at the FanDuel equivalent of captain, which is MVP. You pay the same salary no matter what position a guy's in on FanDuel for anybody who's not playing a FanDuel single game. And again, this is just a process I would do normally anyway. Just I'm showing you guys it, and we can see if there's any differences meaningfully here. Again, less Higby each time you up the randomness, which tells me that Higby, a great cash play and probably not a great real-life GPP play. Um, I could be proven wrong today, but like that to me is like Higby's going to probably come up a lot in these lineups. Um, I just I think I won't take Higby out of my player pool, but I'm not going to get a lot of Higby because he's like, it's too obvious. Like it's too obvious of a play right now, and nobody wants to play Allen Robinson, including the randomness. <laughs> Like the randomness is still like Allen Robinson dog shit. Um, I would play Robinson. I'd play Skronek. I would play Kittle. Um, these guys, I think Cam Akers captain actually kind of live too. Cause it's not coming up normally, but he's still getting enough work. These are the captains I would go to. Cause these are like low probability, but still there's a probability. These guys are getting regular snaps, getting regular touches. 
And that's something I have to like train my brain to do more of. Cause like time and time again, like I fall into the too cozy kind of thing. And I think that's something that, you know, is an important part that I'm observing so far this year that you gotta be willing to get different. Um, you know, not be afraid of chalk necessarily, but chalk that's like iffy. Like I would play Higby over Jawan Jennings overall relative to like the easy kind of plays that fill out an optimizer. Um, but you know, still. Still trying to get a little bit uncomfortable just so you're away from the beaten path of everybody else. Let's see what a 99% crunch does, though. And again, if you want that cash game lineup, it's this one. Cooper Cup, Juwan Jennings, Matt Gay, Tyler Higby, Debo Samuel, Matthew Stafford. You'll probably cash if you play that lineup. You won't do much more, but you'll probably cash. All right, where's 99% going? Are we getting more Allen Robinson now? We are still not getting Allen Robinson. This is this honestly, though, is like a pretty insightful lesson, I think, though, that like we have now cranked the randomness up to basically where it would double a guy's regular projection, and Robinson's still not coming up. Kittle's still not coming up. And he's like, like they're probably not like highly projected lineups if they are coming up. Honestly, 87.6 isn't that bad for Allen Robinson. You still have Cooper Cup in here. I also might be inclined, if you really want to make a rule again, if you're trying to hone in like a laser, just not playing Cooper Cup at captain is one way to do that. Not playing Debo at captain as well, one way to do that. Just play him only in the flex. Not saying I'm recommending that, but you know, if you're trying to, again, trying to be a laser, that's one way to do it. Let's kittle. This isn't that bad. I mean, 88.75 is certainly not a good projection. Um, but a decently low-owned Kittle who doesn't come up a lot in an optimizer. I won't put my neck out and say that I think Kittle and Robinson are going to be um, the winning captain tonight. But I think in terms of the ownership, the most appealing captains are going to be Kittle, Robinson, Skronek. Woof. All right, well, there we go. So that's that's what it's looking like for Monday Night Football, guys. So again, well, I'll be back on Thursday this week. Actually, uh, one thing I forgot to plug up top, which of course now I'm going to plug now that fucking nobody's watching. Uh, <laughs> nobody even relative to what's the nobody that's normally watching, though. I do appreciate each and every one of you who are watching. If you are watching, make sure you hit the like button. If you're watching live or after the fact, please do do that. It helps me out a bunch. i uh, try to fight off this algorithm from our, our show moving over here. And honestly, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. YouTube algorithms are hard, guys. So help us out. Hit the like button here. I'm doing a best ball draft for NBA this week. Uh, our friends over at Underdog specifically requested me to do one. And since they are giving this show money, of course, you can use the promo code SPLASH, double your deposit up to $100 on Underdog. I am going to do an NBA best ball draft. The, the one thing is, I don't know what the fuck my schedule is this week, so I don't know when it's going to be. So make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you hit the notification bell. But an NBA best ball stream will be coming to this channel this week at a time TBD. I'm thinking probably Wednesday afternoon, but um, keep your eyes peeled. But yeah, for you guys who are hanging out, probably Wednesday afternoon. Uh, so I will do my first NBA best ball draft there. Wash the taste out of my mouth uh, from this week of NFL, and hopefully we'll have some more success. <laughs> In NBA, but I do love the NBA. NBA, I will tell you, if you are tired of the volatility of, of NFL, you're tired of seeing these wide receiver chalks bust, you're tired of seeing uh, the running backs go off, I would say that um, NBA is definitely a sport that is more projectable. It's all about the minutes load. It's all about guys' fantasy points per minute. It's a lot easier to wrap your head around. Um, so that's something that I think will be fun. 
Uh, can I let you know in Discord? There will be a tweet, Mike, that goes out when I know, but I think planning Wednesday afternoon, so please come hang out with me then. We'll do some NBA best ball. And maybe I'll tax more on because, honestly, I haven't done enough NBA best ball at all because the rooms take forever to fill. Um, so that's been a downer. Shout out, OG Mans fan. Love you, Spaggy Waggy. Thanks for the content. Thank you to all you guys for hanging out. And hopefully all, you know, this, the studio will flesh itself out soon. This has been fucking anarchy. Like, honestly, there's like, Still like dust in the air. I feel like I'm just building up asbestos in my lungs <laughs> as we speak. Hopefully not, because uh, there's an enough lung pain going on with the COVID and the other stuff. But either way, um, thank you for hanging out, guys. I will be back on Wednesday with that NBA basketball stream, and then Thursday we'll do some data deep dives and some crunching for Thursday night football. Come back then, guys. I appreciate all you hanging out, and make sure you are, of course subscribing liking and commenting neon flashing lights please do that right now and i will see you guys later this week good luck tonight bye guys